It's episode 157 of the Improv London podcast. I'm your host, Stuart Moses, and this week's guest is Marie Duval. Hello, how are, how are you? you? I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Let's talk over each other. That'll be good. <laughs> yeah, good start. <laughs> I have to ask the obligatory, how have you been given what is going on at the moment? I mean, um, when people listen to this in the future, they're not necessarily going to know because everything's changing all the time. Yeah, everything is changing. I'm actually very lucky at the moment. I was able to travel home to Austria. I will be returning to London before this is released, so... Um, yeah, so I should... In case there are any burglars out there yeah, or... <laughs> listen to this podcast. Yeah, don't, don't worry, it's, it's gone. And, and I will be sitting home in, in quarantine, so you would, you would just find me. Um, well, those burgling improvisers out there that love both. Yeah, but I feel, I feel very lucky that I got to travel in 2020. Yes. <laughs> I've taken to uh, pretending I'm in different places. That's been... <laughs> Yeah, but, get to it. but really, at the same time, I feel like I've never travelled as much as in 2020 because I get to I get to meet improvisers from all around the world. There has been uh, a day sometime in the summer where I did an improv meeting with people in Melbourne in the morning, which was afternoon for them, and then I did a improv course early like around 10 a.m for me in dubai with a teacher then with most of the other students were actually in dubai and i did a zoom wedding in the afternoon with a friend in sweden who got married but uh for everybody who couldn't travel there had uh zoom so it was only the ceremony but still i was part of the wedding and then i did another class in chicago in the evening so when have you ever gone from australia to Dubai to Sweden to Chicago in a day. That is, uh, it is, it is fantastic, and that's it is one of the things that I have enjoyed about the current situation. Is that yeah, I've made friends from around the world that I would never have normally met. So uh, yeah, it's good, it's good yeah. to uh, good to focus on the positive. So tell me about your nursery original, or perhaps before you tell me about your nursery original, for those that don't know, tell me what a nursery original is. Okay, tricky question, but maybe I say it wrong. No, a nursery original um, came from the idea that often improv group starts and they're like together forever. And that can be a good thing, but it can be really hard in improv to be like, we're just going to do this one project together. Because every, so that that's the idea. It's a show that the nursery supports the nursery being a th- an improv theatre in London. Uh, they used to help you organise the audition, uh, book the rehearsal rooms for you, book your slots in their theatre. And now we're having the first online version of this, so I'm really excited. And it, it's really similar. I, I gave them, I applied my, with my suggestion for a one for a show that has one run. I've just held auditions. I'm not going to really. I'm not going to tell you yet who's in the show. I had a really tough time picking. Everything is done via Zoom, and yeah, rehearsals will be on Zoom. The shows will be um, hosted on the nursery Facebook site. 
But yeah, The Nursery Original is a show put on by the nursery with different director, usually the director supply, people audition, and there's a set run of shows from the beginning. Fantastic. Um, if you want to put your phone on the desk, I'll cut this bit out. That'll mm -hmm. probably be okay, because otherwise you're going to have to hold that for the rest of the... <laughs> okay. Um, that sounds brilliant. So uh, tell me about your particular idea. Okay, so my idea actually comes from what I was speaking on on the beginning, that Zoom Prof feels a lot like traveling to me, and I've met people from all around the world, and I've made these connections with people all around the world. But I actually miss a you. So it feels a bit like traveling, but I miss a huge part of traveling, which is tasting food from all around the world. Because... I'm one of those people who, who loves discovering new foods and tastes and especially eating the thing that you can't get everywhere else. So I was thinking about how could that get involved. And I was also thinking with Zoom, you can have people that have foods that you can't get anywhere else. So the idea of this show is it's based on an Amando uh, but instead having a monologue, having a person who I call the foodie, who cooks some food that's personal to them and at the same time original, like traditional to where they are, and then they show it in the beginning of the show. They ideally they would eat it. I know some people feel a bit funny about eating in front of camera, and they would tell us what it tastes like, what it feels like, but also what memories it triggers for them what this means to them and then you have an improv show with the wonderful cast um i just auditioned yeah that's like an amando so a montage -y bit of scenes inspired by this food wow that sounds amazing so so they're they're, they're going to prepare it themselves and they get the, are we going to see them we're going to see them making it um ideally they're going to prepare it themselves i'm, I'm still searching for the, the right people. Um, I, my, my, dream, my dream would be that I find somebody who's going to show us how they prepare during the day. So maybe little clips or pictures of them going to the market, of them cutting the vegetables and, I don't know, cooking the curry, whatever it is. And then it arrives at the show and it's finished. So in the show, they won't be cooking it. But in the show, it will be done. But ideally, I would find somebody who would, who would be showing us how they prepare it during the day. And we can share it on Facebook before. Wow, that sounds amazing. So you mentioned that you did um, uh, auditions online. What were the challenges of auditioning people in general and also specifically online? So I hate saying no to people. <laughs> I had the hardest time telling people no. I was like, I need a cast of five or six. Can I do a cast of 20? Wow. Um, I, I thought what was hard for me is there were some people I've never met before. I actually ended up casting somebody I've never met before, which, which uh, and also in Zoom, I can't see it when the camera is off. I think there's so much you can tell from an improviser from when they're on the sideline. Yes. And I couldn't see any of that. Uh, it's also, you know, you can see somebody was about to edit or you can see their skills, even so they're not all that, all that was missing. Uh, and it's also, 
it, it's quite different seeing people. And I've been doing online improv for the last six months and I've been doing a lot of it, like six days a week kind of thing. Um, yeah, I did. And I also, I wanted a very, I wanted this to be an online show. So I, I wanted it to be that people are in different locations that this show is only possible online. Uh, that was a factor. Yeah, but there were, yeah, I had such a hard time saying no, no to some of the people. I'm really happy that the people that I did want it in the show all said yes. Um, I, yeah, I, I wish I could have casted at least double. They were great <laughs> people. Uh, and also, to me, I've never casted a show before, so it was hard to turn off in my head what I already know about the improviser because I cast, I had people in, in the audition from I've never met them before to their really close friend or somebody I've worked with a lot, people I uh, coach or facilitate or teach, whatever you want to call it, regularly to people that I have been students together with. So it was really hard just turning that off and really... Uh, just going in with a blank slide, slide like mm. a white paper being like, I'm just going to judge on what I see right now. Yes, that does sound tricky. So once you've got your cast and they've all said yes, is there a rehearsal process? Yes, we are having um, a, a number of rehearsals bef before the first show. We, At the moment, there's two shows planned with the nursery uh, on the 3rd and the 10th of October. And we'll have three rehearsals before that and one rehearsal in between. So what, we'll, what, I'm just going to say, what could, what could, uh, what could uh, people expect if they were uh, attending that rehearsal? What, what, what are you going to focus on? Uh, I wanted to be focused on the kind of improv I love. So connected scenes. I love people playing from themselves. I love people playing objects there will be the speaking curry or, you know, whatever the the bell pepper that tells us the story of their life because I love that kind of improv. I also believe in order to do good improv, you need to really bond and that's difficult online. So I will have a lot of focus on having them bond as a group. I do think they're already all brilliant improvisers. I won't have to teach them how to do improv. I, I will, my challenge is to have them become a group. Mm. And as far as I know, I'm not completely sure about this, but I don't think there's a cast of six and I don't think either of them have ever been in a group together. I think maybe they have met in some online workshops together. I'm not even sure if two of those people have ever been in a room together. So, yeah, how, how are you going to get them to bond and, and to become a group? Um, I, I love telling about yourself. I love, I love telling the story of my name. I could talk about my name for ages, and I love hearing other people's name stories. I love hearing people's um, life stories. So, um, yeah, just, just doing that. I've done a workshop not too long ago where we were sent into breakout rooms and we did like 
six minutes each of telling our life story and the improviser I was with every time I see her in a workshop I'm like hey buddy we I like I feel so connected so I think there will be a lot of that I want them to really know each other maybe we'll plan an additional social thing like just having maybe you know some home some drinks at home after a rehearsal just to get to know each other but I think yeah also the whole Yeah, I just love speaking about what I love. And if I find out somebody else loves mangoes as much as I do, or tomatoes, or cakes, I'd be happy. (laughs) These are all wonderful things. Um, And uh, what's the name of the show? It's a culinary journey. Ah, Fantastic. So tell me about ISL. What's that? Yes. ISL is Improv as a Second Language. It was founded by Claudia Novati, who is a brilliant improviser from Rome, based in London. And basically, when she moved to London, she realized that quite often she was the only or one of a few improvisers in a team or in a class that didn't have English as a first language. So she wanted to she started it as a research project really to see how is it different to improvise in your second language and about a year ago she she put on the first uh, free training and it was on a sunday morning i think at 10 a.m and i had and i saw it and i was like oh this is exciting this sounds exactly what i would like and i had a really hard time getting up for it and i was the only other person that showed up oh, wow. it was it, it was lovely. I've, we had such a good conversation. We ended up just doing uh, like a two-prof practice, just Claudia and me. And um, yeah, but now there's more people. So basically there's a <laughs> core group in London that has been practicing about weekly before the lockdown. And it's all people that have English as a second language and do improv, really. And then since the lockdown came, we uh, started talking about let's do it online. Suddenly, there's a whole world of improvisers that don't have English as a first language available, uh, rather than just London-based. And also, I I started doing the facilitating or coaching for Claudia. So we now have monthly open sessions that anybody anywhere in the world can sign up for, as long as they can use Zoom. (laughs) Um, and English isn't their first language, and they're free. Uh, we actually have one on October 4th, Sunday, at, I believe, 10.30 in the morning. Uh, there might still be some places left, um, so you you can sign up to it by sending an email. And, yeah, the idea really is to create a safe space for improvisers that don't have English as a first language to play together. We are not trying to teach anybody English. We are not trying to teach anybody improv. We just want to play together. Uh, I have found that certain things are a lot easier for me when I'm with other second language speakers. And I believe there's no issue with my English. (laughs) (laughs) Also, English is my improv language. I hardly ever improvise in German. Uh, but for example, mind melt, I always feel a bit like, oh, like the cultural difference. And it feels like my, my mind goes to slightly different words. 
While if I play mind meld with all other second language speakers, it works surprisingly well. So, yeah. But it's creating a safe space for, um, for second language speakers. And I think in a sometime in the future, we might want to work on workshops for people that have English as a first language, where we create exercises that give them the experience of not playing in your first language. Because I think there's a lot you can realize about how is it different, especially somebody who, who might have that privilege that improv is always in their first language. Um, I personally see it as a gift that I don't play in my first language because if I don't understand a word, I can make up what it means. I, yeah. Also, my personality is slightly different in different languages. So that's interesting. I'll yeah. pick that, that for me, please. Um, for example, I am going up to somebody in a bar or in a pub and just start talking to them. I can do this in English. It's not my most favorite thing to do, but I can do it. No problem. I don't even know how to start that in German. I'd be like, how do you even say hello in German <laughs> to a stranger? That's um, interesting. Yeah. And, also, and I mean, this probably comes from the, I mean, I play improv in, in English, probably comes from that, but also I've lived most of my adult life in English, either in English speaking countries or in countries where English was one of my main languages. Um, so it definitely also comes from when my personality developed, but I can, like right now I'm in Austria, so I feel different than I do when I'm in London. Interesting. Um, if someone was to come along to an ISL session, what could they expect? Um, they can expect a safe place. They can expect a place where they won't be judged, even if they, their English really isn't, isn't what they want it to be. They can expect, in most of our sessions, we try to, we try to do some, some kind of long form but also start with some warm-up warm and maybe some short-form games to make it fun. Can you give me we, some examples? What are, what are your favourite warm-ups or short-form games? So, I've already mentioned Mind Melt. Oh, yeah. One that I really love using, or that we have been, because you can also play with the language, which I believe was created by Katie Shute not too long ago for online is Birthday Messages where you um, pop up one by one and on Zoom and you, you record a birthday message, you know, like how you would do on WhatsApp or Facebook Messenger for, um, for the birthday kid. And then the birthday kid comes up and uh, says a thank you message, which I don't know if people record thank you messages, but you do write on, on Facebook like, thank you all blah, blah, blah. And the variety we do is that you are, we, we play with languages. So we have done where some of the birthday messages are in different languages, or all of them are in different languages, and all, only the thank you is in English. And there's like surprisingly much you pick up even if you don't speak the language. So that's another thing you can expect in not all ISL practices, especially not necessarily the cool ones, but the open ones, we try to have some kind of playing with 
that advantage that everybody speaks a different language. And I've had people do scenes in Hebrew and Chinese and Catalan and like all kind of languages you wouldn't usually hear. It's, it's just wonderful. And I would imagine that it's a useful training tool because you're having to use other means of communication to understand what the other person's saying. You're no longer relying on the words. You're relying on body language and mm. tone of voice and things like that. Uh, absolutely. And it also gives you that possibility, especially for people that maybe live somewhere like where English is the improved language, to be like, you can use your own language if you want to. We're not going to judge you. We we want you to use it. We want to to see how what different tone it gives to your scene, and and at the same time we also want to see how can we all play in English without this this voice in the back of your head that's like oh what if I say a word that's not actually English? I'm sure I already made up at least five words in this recording. <laughs> but you said them confidently so uh, that's the that's the thing just to uh, say it with confidence and people will accept that it's true um yeah that, that sounds fantastic that sounds really interesting i've uh you know when i've watched scenes performed the language i don't understand it's fascinating and actually mm -hmm. as an audience member i lean in because i'm like okay i'm getting you know a certain amount of this but i have to work harder to to get the good stuff so uh, yeah that sounds great also we, we have been doing some work where um, people were speaking different languages, so like having a two-people scene and people speaking their own languages, or even a language that they speak just a few words in. And it's just so interesting how much you can still pick up and also how freeing it can be if you speak in a language that you hardly speak because you already hardly speak it. You don't have to worry about it. You know you're going to make mistakes or you know you only know these four words. So, um, and you have to say them in any order, which, which is where I also see the possibility for workshops for English speakers. Yeah, actually, have you got some ideas around that one for English speakers? Because that's a really fascinating idea. I, I do. I do. I do. This is definitely one of my, my next projects is uh, creating a workshop that has English speakers experience the second language um, feeling. And, and I want to, like my dream is to find a way to do a workshop, how to improvise in a second language without actually knowing a second language. Uh, I, wow. think, I think gibberish is great. I think gibberish is one of those things a lot of improvisers hate it. I used to hate gibberish. But also if you really try gibberish and if you really try to listen, what's the gibberish the other improviser takes? And how can I respond in the same kind of gibberish? Not just any sound that come out of my mouth, but really listen to the tone of the language. And I think that's similar to, um, to language, even if you know very little of the language and also if you don't understand any of it what else do I have to pay attention to um, what's the body language what does it sound like does it sound angry does it sound happy um, I also love playing with silence on stage so that's definitely going to be a factor there as well so 
not not completely done workshops yet, but um, definitely something, definitely, com yeah, combining my passion for languages and the fact that I I speak three languages fluently myself, but I never improvise in my third language. So maybe I should do that myself. Maybe I should throw myself into improvising in Swedish. Yeah. Um. Yeah, um, what were you saying about um, speaking in the sh same gibberish language? When that idea was introduced to me, I'm like, oh, okay, I get gibberish now. Doing that, that made it kind of, mm -hmm. yeah, I got on board for it then. Um, or, because that, that finally meant I had to listen to the gibberish. I think mm -hmm. before that, I was just like, that person says something, what, whatever, I can't understand it anyway. And I think that's the mistake. And to me... Listening is one of the most important things as an improviser and listening to the very end. Like quite often, and I do it, I'm guilty of this. I hear something in the beginning of the line of the other person that I'm like, this is fun and sparkly and I want to play with it. And then my brain starts turning and going like, well, what's a good response? What's a fun response to this? What, what would fit? And I don't hear the end of the sentence instead of listening to the whole sentence and then having my brain start working. So. Would improvising in German mean you'd have to listen to the end of the sentence due to that's where you put your verb? No. Okay. I mean, the verb is more flexible in German, I think. Don't get me for grammar. But, <laughs> uh, but it's not like Latin. Like, I had to study Latin in, like, in school, in secondary school. I absolutely hated it. I, 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 God, I still get nightmares from my Latin classes. And I had this, I had this Latin tutor who was, I'm not kidding you, she was 93 years old. And every time I ring that doorbell, because it was in her home, I was like, if she didn't open the door, it's like, did she die? Do I need, <laughs> <laughs> Do I need to call? The ambulance? <laughs> yeah, so, but I mean, she, she knew Latin and she, she forgot who you were. Like, um, she, she, she knew Latin and she could tell you that. And, um, and I was behind because I spent a year, um, I spent a year in the US, but I then went back to where I was before. So I needed that extra tutoring. But in Latin, the very last word is, is always the verb. But I'm not going to improvise in Latin. Um, well, that's a shame. Um, though I had a similar experience. I joined a school in the second year and I'd missed a whole year of Latin and um, I was never going to catch up. I like the stories about the children in Rome. That was fun. Uh, but um, yes, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, our duo where we improvise in Latin, uh, sadly. It's not happening. Also, it's not, not like happening. they taught us how to, to speak Latin. We just learned how to translate it. So, um, <laughs> so at least how it's taught in Austria, you literally just translate texts that are 2,000 years old. Yeah. Well, we need to look at how, uh, how uh, Latin's taught uh, in our schools. So that's quite far down the list of things to do, but it's on the list. <laughs> um, and you're, um, you've made some uh, big life changes recently. I have. I... Um basically lockdown pandemic and all that made me realize that life is too short to um to 
spend your time doing things you don't love doing. And my job is was one of those things. So I decided, decided to hand in my notice, which sounds a bit insane mid-pandemic, but I also took some creative classes in the beginning and of lockdown, and I just realized what I really want to do with my life as improv. And what better time than the presence? So I took a few how to teach improv classes and I started teaching ISL for Claudia and I started coaching one of my own teams and you know I decided I'm gonna do this I feel a bit insane but also I feel like I do have savings I don't need to live full-time from improv by tomorrow I might not even have to ever live full-time from it I might find a part-time job that I like but at the moment, I want to concentrate all my time on different improv projects, on developing improv classes. Yeah. And the other thing is, I am very good at the job I used to do, which is recruitment. And I, first of all, I can always go back to it. There's like a million recruitment jobs in London, especially if you speak German fluently. But also, I believe the reason I'm a good recruiter is because I do improv. And my managers never believed me that. They were kind of like, yeah, you're good, but it's not related. But I think there's a market for applied improv training for recruitment companies, as well as I was recruiting language speakers, which, you know, rounds up the, what we were just talking before. And I think there's a lot of, I think improv could do a lot for companies that hire a lot of non-native English speakers. So I'm hoping to find my way in applied improv there. I, I see a possibility. I don't know if these companies have the money for it. I don't know if, um, yeah, if this is really going to work, but I want to give it a try. And also, as anybody else working in recruitment, it's not what I studied. I actually have a background as in sustainable development and city planning. And I see a lot of potential for improv there as well, especially in like planning projects where you involve the community, where you involve the people that are already there or build a new community. Um, I think improv could be great for like city participation projects. So yeah, I, I hope that I will find a way there as well. This, this is further down the line because this is not what I've been doing right now. But I do have a degree from, I studied this both in Austria and in Sweden. So, yeah, that, that's my dream, combining my studies with improv and then being a, and obviously if I ever get to teach at any real life improv festival that I get to travel to, I'll, I'll die happily. <laughs> I haven't, I don't have like one dream festival, but Maybe Gothenburg, because that's where I started in Sweden. It was the first festival I ever went to. It was the first place I ever, I ever did an improv, improv ever. But I'm not that picky. I die happily if there's anyone. Mm, that sounds great. Um, may your death be very distant. Um, yes. um, so, yeah, so, yeah, how did you get started in improv? What's your improv origin story? Um, I, it was an accident. It, it was real accident. So I was living in Gothenburg, Sweden at the time. 
And I was a student, but I had a lot of contact with the expert community there. And, and I was quite social. I was running a weekly board game evening at the time. And so I knew a lot of the experts. And there was this um, guy who came, who was German, but he came from the Netherlands. And in the Netherlands, he had an English-speaking improv group um, at the university there. And he was doing his PhD or postdoc. No, he was doing his PhD in, in the Netherlands. He was doing his postdoc in Gothenburg. So he had easy access to rooms at the university. And he was like, I, and there was no English speaking improv in Gothenburg at the time. So he was like, I want people to play improv with. And he advertised it in the expert groups. Um, he might have even came to the board game evening and was like, can I talk to people about it? And I wasn't even going to go, but one of my friends was, and I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll join you. And I was hooked the first session. And, but also I did improv for a full year, over a year, doing those weekly sessions with this group. We took turns teaching and I, or, or facilitating. And I would even like sometimes run sessions and we would watch like YouTube videos and um, read books or some you know, like really educate ourselves and then run those sessions. And we even did, I think we did maybe about three weekends where we would go away as the group and then we put on our own shows and we tried doing them in lecture halls at the university and we were like, this isn't great. So we did them in pubs. And, but we never had any contact to the actual improv scene wow. in Gothenburg. And I didn't even realize that this is something people pay teachers for because we, we all like did it self-taught or that people travel for, or that, you know, this is a thing. I was just like, this is what me and my friends do. So uh, when the first improv festival in Gothenburg happened, which must have been in 2015, that's when my, my group first interacted with the, the actual improv scene. And they were like, how did you guys do this? You had like public shows and stuff and we never knew you existed. So wow. yeah, that, that's my improv origin story. So I've actually never done an improv 101 course because I, I did improv for like a year and a half by the time I realized there's courses. So <laughs> um, yeah. What sort of, what sort of, um, was there anything that you developed in that group because you were developing, you know, away from the scene or whatever. Was there anything unusual, different you developed? Um, I'm not sure actually. Um, I also left it, not, not, I left Sweden. I moved countries um, shortly after I realized that there's a real improv scene. So maybe if I would have, I would have stayed longer, I would have seen things, but we were doing more short form things and some like in getting into long form. And I think I, yeah, I kind of, he feels so long ago now. But also, but sometimes it happens that somebody goes, like a teacher goes, let's do this old style game. And then it's a game I used to play with that group. And I'm like, oh my God, I know this. This is, <laughs> this is amazing. But 
I think one thing that I really thought was great is the fact that we basically had our own residentials where we would rent a essentially like an Airbnb, like a house and we would just move all the furniture in the living room and we make sure it has a big living room space and we would just play improv there. So yeah, like I did everything you would do normally just in like this own really small group. Oh, fantastic, fantastic. Okay. If someone were to step on stage with you, um, well, this can be online or in real life. What could they do to delight you? Um, I love silence. And I love if somebody doesn't feel the need of talking right away. So, and I do that myself. So somebody, somebody can delight me by just, you know, setting the, the set, maybe making sure we know there's a sofa there because they, they touched it or they took a glass of water or, you know, set, setting the stage and just giving, giving that space. I, I really enjoy that when, when there is time to, time to explore, but also not just standing there and doing nothing and waiting for me to do something, but starting the scene the moment you step on stage. Because for the audience, it started when they entered the theatre, mm. but not having the need of, I need to speak right away. Yeah, yeah, no, intentional silence. It needs to be intentional. It, it, mm. it needs to be a choice rather than yeah. just an absence of choice. Um, but yeah, and, and also I think that's another thing that makes an audience lean in. They're like, oh, what's going on here? Because sometimes if people come on with too many words, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah. right, slow down because this is my first language, but there are too many ideas here. Mm. If you give me silence, I'm like, and then you, it's like um, you're, you're picking up on all the nonverbal signals. You're you're working harder to get the information and I think if you work hard for things you appreciate them more. Plus, when you mention silence, it's good just to have some silence. Okay, big final question time. What is your signature move? What is the thing that you do that saves the day brings down the house, has people going, classic Marie. I think it's when I, pardon my language, lose my shit on stage. Um, yeah, it's just, it doesn't happen all the time. It doesn't happen um, like every time somebody sets it up. But when it happens, I find it's delightful. Other people find it's delightful. Um, I like to believe that I'm one of those nice people that I, I want to be nice. Like I didn't, I wanted to cast 20 people for my show rather than just six. Uh, but when I lose my shit on stage, it, it's good. And it saves the scene. It, it yeah. like, um, because it can be set up, but it can also be, oh my God, we're not going anywhere. I'll just, you know, start screaming. So, yeah. So you, you're angry? Is this angry shit losing? Yeah, like angry and like being really like, 
really getting, yeah, angry is the right word. And really just like exploding at some little thing. And also, I was taught to do this. It's not like <laughs> I, this, this doesn't come naturally to me. At least I think it doesn't. Maybe, maybe my parents say as a five-year-old, I used to do this all the time. But there was a while, probably is still the case, where I was taking a lot of classes with Jules Munns from the nursery slash Maydays. And there was at least a year, maybe two, where he was like, Marie, lose your shit. Like, that was the main note I would always get. And, yeah, now that's my signature move. <laughs> that, is a, that is a fantastic, uh, that's a fantastic bit of side coaching from Jules and uh, a fantastic yeah. bit of advice. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you for being a guest on the Improv London podcast. Thank you for having me. And best of luck with everything. Thank you. And I hope we can actually see each other in person, you know, once I'm out of quarantine and hopefully there isn't a second lockdown. <laughs> yes, let's, let's hope. Let's hope that'll be fantastic. Thank you very much. Thank you. I made this. That's improv. <laughs> That's improv.